Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Many of us uh, humans are continually looking forward to the future with kind of a mix of uh, both eagerness and dread. We look forward with eagerness uh, to a day off from work or a vacation trip or the day of graduation or a wedding. And we dread the approaching day of taking a test or going to the dentist or having surgery. And sometimes the same event can evoke eagerness for someone and apprehension for someone else. For instance, a young child can hardly wait for an upcoming birthday, whereas a senior citizen might feel apprehension about the next one, especially if it means also crossing over into another decade. This season of the year, as we anticipate Christmas, just around the corner, many of us look forward to special times with extended family, but others may have apprehension as this approaching holiday causes them to feel a bit lonely instead. We've been going through First and Second Peter here at Maranatha, and, and, and in the section of uh, chapter 3 of Second Peter today, uh, Peter speaks uh, of a day in the future which for some folks will be a day to eagerly look forward to. And for others, it'll be a day that they ought to dread, though many try to just put it out of their minds or choose to believe that it won't ever happen. So look with me, please, at Second uh, Peter chapter 3, reading verses 7 through uh, 13 in Jesus' name. I invite you to stand in reverence uh, to God's word as I read. <clears throat> but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let us pray. Lord God, as we meditate on these verses today, we pray that you would remind us or, or speak to us of, about that day that is coming, that uh, is so important that everyone would be ready for. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Meteorologist uh, John Wheeler writes a, uh, just a brief column often uh, in the uh, Fargo Forum, right under where it has the 10-day uh, forecast. And a little over a year ago, he wrote this. It's rather short, but uh, fascinating what he said to me. Uh, uh, to me, it's fascinating, I should say. Um, he said this. 
Here's an odd perspective, but perhaps a sobering, truthful one. For decades now, people have been concerned. Global issues such as climate change, nuclear devastation, human overpopulation, and so on could potentially make life on Earth as we know it impossible. The question is this, is life on the Earth really at risk here? Certainly a worst case scenario could mean the end of life as we know it and potentially, possibly, even the end of all human life. However, it seems likely that Earth and some sort of life would likely survive anything humans are capable of and that some sort of life would eventually thrive just like the following uh, several prehistoric mass extinctions. Dinosaurs were the dominant species on Earth for 175 million years until they died out 65 million years ago. A few mammal species survived the asteroid and eventually people evolved. Humans have been on Earth a few million years but have dominated only a few thousand. After us, what's next? End quote. An interesting perspective from our local weatherman who obviously doesn't believe the first few chapters of Genesis or the last chapters of Revelation and probably a whole lot of what's in between. Uh, so does the Bible say anything about the possibility of a doomsday scenario for the planet Earth? Well, it certainly does in this chapter of, of 2 Peter. Three times in these verses, Peter talks about a particular day as the day. And he describes it in three different ways. Verse 10, the day of the Lord. Verse 13, the day of God. And verse 7, the day of judgment. And in all three, he's referring to one and the same day, the day of the return of Jesus Christ to planet Earth and, and the various things then that will take place in connection with it. Last week, Pastor Ryan introduced the Advent season and the four Sundays leading up to Christmas at, as that time when we look back on Jesus' first coming to Earth and we anticipate his second coming. Well, in the second letter of Peter, then, Peter focuses significantly on, on Jesus' second coming. And so it seemed fitting to me to just continue in our study of 2 Peter during this Advent season. And, and, and Peter reminds us here that there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will return to the earth. This time, not seemingly as a helpless baby, but rather with great power. And I see in these verses, then, first of all, a description of that day. The day of Christ's return will be a day when the present heaven and earth will pass away. Verse 10, the heavens will pass away with a roar. And that word roar um, has connotations of a loud hissing or crackling sound like the roaring of large flames of fire. Verse 10 goes on to say, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. That, that is, the planets and the stars in the sky dissolved. Verse 10, melted with intense, or verse 12, I guess, melted with intense heat. And not only the other parts then of the vast universe, but the earth too will be destroyed by fire. Verse 10 tells us that the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You see, fire doesn't leave anything hidden. It exposes whatever's in its path. And so according then to verse 7, the same God who in judgment brought that great flood to cover the whole earth back in the days of Noah and who brought judgment fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, can and will bring such to the whole earth and its inhabitants. Verse 7 says, But by the same word the heaven and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment. That is what God has promised. 
global warming like this planet has never seen before. And, and it's not something that mankind can then take steps to stop from happening with just reducing some carbon footprint. Mankind's sinful footprints are all over this planet and cannot be ignored, and he says judgment is coming. And the day of Christ's return then will be a day of judgment and destruction, it says, for the ungodly. For those that have had no time for God in this life, they will face their maker at last. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 describes it this way. He said, The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And it's important that we grasp something here. This judgment will not just be for those that are living on the earth at that time. It will be for all who ever lived on the earth. And, and it's hard for us to even imagine such a scene. I've tried to picture it in my mind's eye, and I, I think of it as this way, of long, long lines of people, lines that make those checkout lines at Costco on the weekends before Christmas look short. Lines stretching out for miles and miles, each waiting for a judgment that will be far worse than that $300 bill when you get your cart up there, there at Costco. John describes it in, in Revelation chapter 20, and I, I read, there he says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and, and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. And then in Revelation it goes on to tell us that if anyone's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the day of judgment for the ungodly that Peter speaks of here in this text. However, for others, the day of the Lord will be a great day. Because it will be a day that will result in a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, all of mankind and, and even all of creation has been under the curse. But when God entered human history in the form of his son Jesus, he was supplying the remedy for the curse. Jesus on the cross took on himself the wrath of God for our sins. For those who believe in Jesus as their savior from sin, then their guilt has been removed. And we still continue, though, to live in a sinful world. We still struggle with temptations to sin and at times fail. But we have forgiveness when we fail. However, when Christ returns, you see, then the curse upon the earth will be fully removed. And God will create a new heavens and a new earth, untainted by sin, a place where righteousness dwells. As we look on in Revelation chapter 21, for instance, there it, it gives us a glimpse of this, and it says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And you know, part of God's making all things new 
is that we will be free of sin. It will be a place where righteousness dwells. So just when will all of this take place? Well, Peter doesn't give us a neat timeline of end-time events. It doesn't seem to be his concern to figure all that out. Um, here's what he does tell us, though, of the timing of that day. And Pastor Ryan covered um, some from verse 9 last Sunday. Peter described how plenty of people around us would be mocking and saying things like, well, where's the promise of his coming, the day of the Lord's return? Well, it's been a long time. 2,000 plus years have passed. Jesus isn't coming back. So give up on that dream. And Peter reminds us that it might seem to us that that day has been delayed. 2,000 years seems like a long time for us whose lives rarely last past 100 years. But the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. He says in verse 9, as some count slowness. Now I don't know about you, but I tend to count slowness. I find the person that puts us when the light turns at the stoplight to be annoyingly slow. I think the same about the checkout person at the store who weighs too slowly, checks, you know, scans each item. I'm not a fan of slow. Some might say I'm even impatient. Of course, that might also mean then that at times I misjudge the person or the situation. And some do the same with God and his promise of the coming return of Christ to the earth. They misjudge God and the situation. What they fail to grasp is that God's perspective on time is very different than ours. Verse 8, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Though, though things on this earth are, are shaped in time, the Lord God himself is timeless. And whatever he has said is already as good as done. And that was true when he promised, for instance, Adam and Eve that he'd send a savior from sin. Hundreds and hundreds of years elapsed. And in God's perfect timing, he sent his son to be born in Bethlehem. He is always true to his promise. The day of the Lord will come. And he's not forgetting. And he's not slow. Rather, he is extraordinarily patient. Whereas I get impatient in the checkout line or at the stoplight and in plenty of other situations, God is extraordinarily patient with each of us. And, and he is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his desire for you and for me and for everyone in the whole world. Eventually, time does run out for each of our earthly lives. And once we draw our last breath here, it'll be too late to repent of our sins and trust in the Savior that he provided. But until that day, he is very patient with each of us. However, what Scripture tells us here is that one day, the patience of the Lord will end for the whole world, as it did in the time of the great flood. And that day will come, verse 10, the day of the Lord. Verse 13, the day of God. And the day of judgment that Peter talks about here. And, and when it does come, it'll also then be a day of great rejoicing for redeemed believers in Jesus Christ who have lived on this earth. It, it will be the day of the resurrection from the dead, the day where we enter our eternal reward. And, and that day, time as we know it, will end and eternity begins. And, and so 
how ought then inhabitants of the earth to prepare for that day? Should we build bomb shelters, stockpile food and fuel? You know, that might be useful for days leading up to that day, as we don't know just how bad things, how many bad things will take place on this earth before Christ returns. Jesus spoke about that in, in Matthew 24, for instance. He tells us of false prophets coming and leading many astray, and how lawlessness would increase. He said there'd be wars and rumors of wars, and nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In various places there'd be famines and earthquakes. And he described all those things as signs, uh, just the beginning of birth pangs that would then be followed by great tribulation. But he also said that believers ought not to fear those things. And so as we think about preparation for the day then, recognize this, no one knows the day or the hour. Not even Jesus himself, but only the Father in heaven. And Peter says that that day will come like a thief. And Peter's really just telling us what Jesus had told him. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the household had known at what time the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour in which you do not expect. And so we prepare for that day by being ready all the time. How can we, deal? How can we do that? Well, it's by dealing then with the reason that God sent his Son in the first place. That universal human problem of our sinful heart that rebels against God and his plans for our earthly lives. The, the problem that, that if not faced can then keep us out of heaven. Well, we prepare for the coming day of the Lord by being honest with God, admitting our sins, and looking to Jesus the Savior for forgiveness and change of heart. And there is no other way to truly be ready for Christ's return. This is the universal need. For each of us then to deal with individually the need for all of us to repent and to believe in the Savior. And for us who have done so and who are living then in a relationship with Jesus as the Lord and Savior, Peter speaks also here in verses 11-12 about the need for believers then to examine our life perspectives and our lifestyles. <coughs> Though much of the language in these verses is very sobering, our perspective on the coming day of the Lord ought not to be fearful. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, it should fill us with an anticipation of seeing our Savior face to face and of being free at last from the curse, free from sin and sickness and sorrow and pain. And in light of that reality, in light of the coming judgment for the ungodly, Peter says this, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? We're to be living godly lives, living in a daily relationship with Jesus and, and praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and Peter says not only that, but we are to be waiting for and hastening the day of the Lord. So how could the way that we Christians live possibly have a part in hastening the day of Christ's return? Well, the only way I can understand that is that it would be if we are then living, being about Christ's great commission, making disciples of Jesus Christ while we wait for his return, seeking to spread the gospel of forgiveness of sin 
and hope in Jesus Christ to the rest of the world, Jesus himself said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all of the nations, and then the end will come. I want to end with some words of, a, of an Advent hymn. I've never sung this one. I'm not going to sing it now, but I'm going to share these words. Uh, written by James Gray. O dear and long for Savior, when wilt thou come again? The promise of thy coming awakes one loud amen. Our hearts so long have waited, our eyes so long have strained. Why tarry so, O chariot? Why are thy wheels restrained? Ten thousand hearts are waiting, ten thousand faces turn, up towards the clouds of glory, thy movements to discern. We hearken for the trumpet, the great archangel's voice. Break forth, O grand hosannas, let heavens and earth rejoice. Is yon unearthly glory that steals across the sky, the marshalling of thy myriads that tells us thou art nigh? Our hearts beat high, Lord Jesus, and our glad spirits rise, divide ye starry heavens, reveal him to our eyes. And then this refrain, return, Lord Jesus, thy chariot wheels run slow. O hasten thine appearing, thy glory, thy glory show. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for reminding us today of that day that is coming. A day that be a day of dread for those who do not know you and who have resisted you and, and uh, turned their back on you. But a day of rejoicing for us to know you and look forward to eternity with you. And Lord, we pray that today you would speak to each of our hearts. And, and if there are those that are unsure of their own relationship with you, Lord, that, that you would draw them to be honest with you about their sin confess and find forgiveness that is promised in your word to all who look to Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would help us who are Christians to live our lives in such a way that we would be godly examples to those around us, that we would, by our lifestyle, show that we live in a relationship with you. And Lord, that you would then use us to spread the message of, of hope, of forgiveness of sin and eternal life in the Savior Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.